Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. It's day 14 of 2024. How are you doing? Better. Yeah? Better? Good. Good. I, uh, I read somewhere this week that day 12 uh, on Friday is the day uh, when, on average, people just abandon their resolutions. They're like, you know what? It was a good try, but no, we're not doing it, okay? So if you've, if you've made it this far into the year and you've maybe made some positive changes in your life, way to go. You made it past the 12th, okay? Um, we're, uh, we're in a, a series called Building with Jesus, and Casey and I are building a new thing into our lifestyle right now, and it's not even a resolution. I don't even like to make New Year's resolutions, uh, and we didn't even think about it in these terms, but we decided we, we were going to change our eating habits. Have you ever tried to change your eating habits before? A few of you have tried this before, okay? So you, you eat the same way for decades, and then all of a sudden, things start changing as you get a little bit older, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, I probably should make some changes. And so we started this thing called a keto diet. Have you all ever heard of the keto diet? Yeah, yeah, And so you, 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 you cut your carbs and your sugars. Friends. Oh, friends. I feel like I've been coming off of drugs, okay? Seriously. Like, I, feel, I, I, I got all, like, twitchy and weird. Like, on day three, I started to feel all restless. I would just go to the pantry and just look at it. <laughs> I'd just stare at it like, look at all the things I can't eat anymore, you know? And I would, like, grieve a little bit on the inside, you know? As I, 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 I can't have a french fry anymore. Like, it's just, it's just changed my whole world. And, and here's the thing is I realized how much I loved my sugar and my carbs, Okay, it was the primary food group in my life. Okay, and so I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf. And here's the thing. One of the hardest things about doing something new is dealing with the old. The hardest thing, if you're going to do something new, if you're going to build something new in your life with Jesus, the hardest part is dealing with the old thing that you used to do. It's like half the battle. And today, I, I want to talk about that battle because uh, each of us in our own unique ways are prone to some old things that sabotage the new thing that the Lord is building in our lives. That there's some old stuff that, that's always right there with us as we're trying to step into the new. And these things are our thoughts, our ideas, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our behaviors that could, if left unchecked, deform God's directive in our life. They will absolutely derail what God is building in us and through us. Um, whenever we moved to Richmond, in uh, 2015, we bought a brand new house and it was like done. You know, where the builder does everything and you just walk in and you're like, this is great. 
But then we're like, you know, the Lord's drawing us to this deeper into Richmond, Richmond, like Richmond proper. So we bought a house that was built like 30, you know, five, 40 years ago over here. And it was great. It had good bones, right? We talk about good bones, had good bones. It had a little more property for our boys to run around on. But this house had some problems. We got a good deal, if you know what I'm talking about, right? We didn't, we didn't pay a whole lot of money, but oh my goodness. And what we did is we started the process of demolition. The first step of construction is demolition. Did you know that? Even when, when a, a builder builds a brand new house, the first thing they do is they get a big old tractor out there and they start clearing things out of the way. They start moving dirt because they have to deal with the things that are there before they can build the new thing. And today I want to talk about the tearing down the tearing down. Because if we're going to build something with Jesus, there are some old things that need to be torn, torn down. We're, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 if you have a, a Bible, if you want to turn there with us. And uh, I'm going to have it on the screen for you as well. But this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And this is a church that has gone through some stuff. If you've read 1 Corinthians, the book deals with all kinds of issues that this church was dealing with. This is the second letter now to them. It's a follow-up letter. And Paul is dealing with some stuff where false teachers have come in and they have begun to discredit Paul. They're, they're talking some noise about Paul and his ministry and his life. They're casting doubt. They're, they're, um, they're trying to shift the hearts of the people away from this apostle who, who brought the gospel to these people, who, who has this responsibility from God for these people. And Paul's going to deal with some stuff, and we're going to read a passage that's really quite famous. In fact, you've probably read it many times. You've probably quoted it. You might have it memorized. You've probably heard sermons on it. And it starts in verse 1 in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. And here's what it says. Now, I, Paul, myself, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble among you in person but bold towards you when absent. By the way, that's called sarcasm that he's using right there. That's one of the accusations against his character. Verse two, I beg you that when I'm present, I will not need to be bold with the confidence by which I plan to challenge certain people who think we are behaving according to the flesh. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition, there's our word, of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. We are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have Paul. He's, he's defending his, his apostleship, his authority, and he begins to use this warfare imagery. 
he, he talks about warfare that we're in, and he talks about demolition, this demolishing of strongholds. And uh, that, that word demolish, it's to pull down. It's to literally, it's to tear something down. It's, it's to break it apart. And what was kind of interesting to me is that in the next little section, he says this, if I boast a little too much about our authority, which the Lord gave me for building you up and not tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. Here's why that fascinated me, is that Paul is talking about tearing something down in order to build somebody up. The, the first thing that I, I want to point out to us is sometimes the best way to build someone up is to tear something down. Sometimes the, the best way to build someone up is to tear something down. Whenever we started uh, demoing our house, we kind of got deeper and deeper into the, the issues of the home. You, you kind of think, oh, we're, we're just going to change the paint color. We're just going to change the floors. And then it turned out that we spent like three weekends jackhammering floors out of our house just to get the tile out. You can ask Frank. He was there. It was this thick Saltillo tile. It, it, was, it was nasty. It, it, these people had... It, I guess the color faded and they decided, hey, let's, let's retint it. And so they, they, it's like they took pumpkin orange and put it into a, a solution and they dyed the floors. But the problem was they didn't clean the floors all the way. So we'd be sweeping and be like, there's a hair on the floor. Oh, wait a minute. The hair is baked into the coating on the floor. That's gross, right? We had a, a jade green toilet with with brown stripes in it. It was awesome. It was the green machine. It had a, a light blue padded seat. And people would come over and say, we heard you have a green toilet. Can, can we see it? It was crazy looking. And one of the best days was just watching it be rolled out of our house, pushed onto the curb. It's probably in a museum somewhere. Like that thing was crazy looking. But it wasn't just that we started to find foundation problems. And so we, we had to hire someone to dig tunnels under our house. And when they fixed the foundation, they found plumbing problems down there. Isn't that great? It's like, just take my whole wallet, just whatever, you know? And, and so we had to hire these. It was, I was thinking of the Chilean miners because these guys were from Chile and these guys were tunnelers and they tunneled under my house and they fixed the stuff underneath there because the, the only way that we could build this thing up was actually to tear some things down. We had to go down deep. We had to go underneath all the, all the issues of the house and deal with that because here's the thing. If you build something on top of yesterday's problems, they don't go away. They come right back in all of your building was for nothing. It was for nothing. Reminds me of last week's sermon, futility, right? Sometimes the best thing we can do to build someone up is to tear something down. I was thinking about Jesus and, you know, in his ministry, there's this one moment where a rich young ruler comes to him. And think about that for a second. He's rich, meaning he has material wealth. He's been successful, right? He's, 
He's made it. He's young. He has his youth. He has his energy. He has, you know, that's like the thing. And he's a ruler. He's got influence. He's got power. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do, good teacher, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. He's, he's trying to figure out what this guy really believes about him. And he says, you, you know the commands, right? Do not steal, do not covet, do not murder, all of those. Honor your father and mother. And the young man says, I've done all of those since I was a youth. Like, check, 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 check. And Jesus says this. Go, sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And it says the young man went his way sad. And I've wondered, like, what was Jesus doing to him? Was he trying to punk him? Was he trying to be mean to this rich, young ruler? Mark says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And what I believe what Jesus was doing is he's saying, look, the best thing I could ever do for you is tear some things down in your life. See, Jesus, he, he doesn't hurt people. Jesus wants to deal with the things that hurt people. Jesus is a healer. He's a liberator. He loves us so much that one of the things that he will do in our lives is he will actually tear some things down. And here's the thing. Don't be mad. Please don't be discouraged. Please don't be dismayed by the commands of Jesus. Don't misinterpret his sovereign unfolding of your life, even if it hasn't just worked out the way that you thought it would. Because here's my, here's my belief, my conviction, is that God is doing things in our lives. He's, he's causing all these events to happen and, and things to shift and change, and, and all the stuff of our, of our lives is leading to a, a point where he can tear something down in us because he loves us and he wants to build something in us. In verse four, here's what Paul says. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Strongholds. The second thing that I want us to understand is that strongholds sabotage what the Lord is building in our lives. It will sabotage what the Lord is building in your life. And the question is, what's a stronghold, right? That's, that's a good question. Like, what is that? And some of you in your background, may, maybe you, you've had lots of teaching. Some of you are like, I, I have no idea what that means. Well, the, a stronghold, it, it literally means a castle or a fortress. It, it's, it's a fortified position where one has dominion. If you think about the old days and, and when, when a, uh, you know, an army would come into an area, they would find a, a tall place that was well defended, it was well situated, and that would be their place where they can see all the, the places where an enemy might come. Right? They had a, a fortified position where they could safely kind of hunker down and be ready for anything. And that's, that's what a stronghold is. And strongholds can be used in a positive sense, but clearly what Paul's talking about is something that's in a negative sense. 
I, I heard this definition of a stronghold from a pastor, and I thought this was really helpful. A stronghold is a spiritual fortress in which darkness dwells. A spiritual fortress in which darkness dwells. It's a fortified position where darkness has dominion. It's, it has rule. It's, it's able to stay put in our lives and sort of be defended against things. It's a fortified place. In verse 4 through 9, he goes on. He kind of gives us a little more understanding. And here's what he says about them. He says, we demolish arguments. Arguments. So an argument is, it's, it's an imagination. It's a, a computation, a reasoning. It's a fortified and defended point of view. It's an opinion that we hold or that someone holds. It's something that people argue for. They, they, they're making a case for something. And he tells us a little bit more about that. He says, in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. So this is a, it's an opinion. It's a fortified um, computation that is opposite or contrary against the knowledge of God. It exalts itself. And it's when we start to think that we're smarter than God. Smarter than God. You, you, you probably know that that feeling you get when you're maybe in an educational space or maybe amongst your friends, maybe you watch TV and you see shows and people talk about things. Maybe you take your kids to a museum and, uh, and everything is presented to you in terms of a naturalistic worldview. And there's this sense in you of like, all the smart people don't buy into the narrative of the Bible, right? And it's this idea of like, you simpletons who adhere to the Bible. They say, don't you know that you evolved from a monkey? All the smart people think that you evolved from a monkey. Now, can I be honest? Like, if you, like, pull yourself out of the cultural stuff and you, like, really think about that, that's kind of crazy. Really. And in fact, it's a theory. It's just a theory. It's unproven. The science stalled out 50 years ago. Seriously. It's unproven which means it's a faith. Did you know that? Yes. That worldview is a faith. When you go to the museum, you're like, this dinosaur lived 500 quadrazillion years ago. It's like, no, it didn't. But there's a sense, an argument that we're pressed with constantly it's like, you would be foolish to think that God just spoke and created everything and that the scriptures lay out a timeline that actually fits the world record. You simpletons. Maybe it's with sexuality, right? And people are broken. Hearts are broken. Lives are broken. Families 
are broken because of sexual sin. And then they're like, you silly Christians that buy into this sexual ethic of the Bible. That's so old fashioned. It's like, really? Are we smarter than God? These are arguments. And they, they're raised up against the knowledge of God, which, by the way, the knowledge he's talking about, that word knowledge can also be translated as science. It's not like a mystical, like, I know God, and he's like, I just had this own, my own you know, mystical connection. No, no, he's saying like, you know, there are observable, knowable things from his word, from, from creation that we can look at, and we can know something. It's knowledge. Raised up against the knowledge of God. So part of a stronghold is it may be an argument that's just been pressed upon you. You've, you've grown up around it. You've, you've lived in those waters. You've, you've read the blogs. You've watched the videos. And it's just kind of gotten into you. The second thing is he, he describes it this way. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. So he starts talking about thoughts. And these are the internal things, the internal thoughts, the mental perceptions that happen on the inside of you and on the inside of me. And he says that we're to take those things captive. We're to make them obey. Again, he's using this image of warfare and it's to bring something under control. Have you ever had out of control thoughts before? Yeah? Oh, me too. Where you just feel like, I, I just can't get this out of my head. Like, I'm trying not to think about it. I'm like doing all the like Jedi mind tricks that I know, right? And it's just like my brain keeps going back down this one track. And I'm just, I feel like my thoughts are out of control. And, and to make them captive is literally that we have, get this, as a new creation in Jesus, you have a spiritual ability to go above your thoughts and take them captive in your spirit man which means that your thoughts, they feel out of control, but they're not. Like God has given us tools in our spirit to take these things captive and to make them obey Jesus. And just think about the power of our thoughts on our lives. We have some old thinking. That old thinking, it could be lustful thoughts prideful thoughts. It could be self-condemning thoughts. It could be hateful thoughts, angry thoughts, false beliefs. And the thing is, we've been doing it for so long. So long. It's almost like, like my child has um. He's, he's getting a little bit older, but he still has like a special pillow that he likes. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you had like a little blanket or a stuffed animal and it's like your little thing and you just kind of have it with you all the time. And even when you're older, you're like kind of hide it like in the closet. Like don't let anyone know that I still have a blanket, right? Um, but then at night you pull it out, right? So it's like that. It's like we have some things that we've carried with us for so long. But the problem is that they're a fortress in which darkness dwells. Lastly, he says this, we are ready to punish any disobedience. 
once your obedience is complete. He starts talking about disobedience, and all that is simply, it's the ungodly actions and behaviors that stem from arguments and thoughts that are ungodly in us. It's the logical outcome of, of harboring these things in our, in, in our inner man, in our soul. When, when we have this place, this fortified position where darkness dwells, it's like the, the natural thing that's going to happen is we're going to act on those things eventually, right? The, the, the stuff that we've been trying to like paint over in the house, it's like it's just going to, it's going to find its way out. It's going to happen. And what he's talking about is bringing a, a discipline until what was lacking in their intention to be obedient. They wanted to be obedient. They wanted to obey Christ. They wanted to follow him. But they just needed some discipline to help them. So we have these strongholds that are spiritual fortresses of thoughts, ideas, attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors in which darkness dwells, and they will absolutely sabotage what the Lord is building in our life. And the thing is, God doesn't want you to stay there. Last night, um, my, uh, my nephew was with us. He had a birthday this past week, and so my, my son has been enjoying making food. And so he made brownies. And then my wife bought ice cream. I mean, talk about just the disrespect in my household. You know what I'm saying? Like, my heart was breaking on the inside. It's like literally my favorite thing on the planet is brownies and ice cream. They had like the, like the triple chunk in there, you know what I'm saying? Like the extra, like little like chocolate chips in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the good stuff. And, and I just had like the tiniest little like crumb and I just savored it. You, you know what I'm saying? It just, but, but I find myself having to kind of slap my own hand, right? You know, ha, you know don't, don't eat that, right? Because the old things that I used to eat will actually undo the new thing. There's, a, there's actually a change of chemistry in my body right now. So there's, there's actually a new thing that's happening inside of me. And if I eat the old thing, it's going to absolutely derail the new thing that's happening. And I just want you to know that like God is doing a new thing in your life. The Lord loves you. He's building with you. He wants to do something with you. He wants to use you for his purpose, his kingdom. For whatever reason, he picked this moment on planet earth to have you live. And it's a crazy moment. We got wars everywhere. We've got artificial intelligence. We don't know what, what's going to happen with that. We've got uh, you know, our economies that we're trying to figure out right now. We have all kinds of problems on the planet Earth. And of all the times that he wanted you to live, it was right now. And so he wants to do something with us. But he might need to tear some things down. Here's the third point. God has provided the means for us to tear down the things to tear us down. Paul is writing to Christians. And maybe you thought, when I give my life to Jesus, it's done, man. Right? It's done. But here's the thing. We have, like the, 
the picture we use is if you've ever had a, like a, a farm or, or you've been to a place where they had dirt roads and people drive down that dirt road in the same place for so long. And of course the rain comes and the soil gets loose and they drive again. It's like the ruts get so deep that it's, it's like, it's so hard to pull yourself out of the ruts. You could almost just take your hands off the wheel and the car would just go like a train on a track. And the things, these thoughts, ideas, beliefs, attitudes, actions of our lives are like that. It's like so second nature to us, we don't even know that we're doing them half the time. And so when we give our lives to Jesus, it's not like a magic wand where it's that all that goes away. No, no, there's a process and there are things that God has provided. And what Paul calls them here is weapons of our warfare. And he says this, they're not of the flesh. The flesh, it's, you know, it's the body, it's the... It's the desires of the body, but it's, it's helpful to think of it this way. It's the human nature. It's human. So we have these weapons that are not of the human nature. They're spiritual. And not only that, he says that they are powerful through God, meaning that these are weapons that are not of us. It's not of our human nature. And these are actually powerful, meaning they work. They work. They're powerful through God, and they will tear down the things that tear us down. I don't know if you realize this, but spiritual warfare is real. It's very real. And, and we think in our little Western American bubble, like, no, that doesn't really happen. Oh, I guarantee you it's happening, and it's happening to you all the time, and you have no idea. But you feel it. It's real. These things that we're dealing with, they're not static, right? There's, this really is a, a battle in our minds. I was thinking of the passage we read last week. It was a song of Solomon uh, in Psalms 127. And, and uh, I think it's in 2 Kings when um, Solomon gets a, a letter from Hiram, who is another king, and here's what it says as he replies, and he says, my father David wanted to build the house of the Lord. My father wanted to build, but instead the Lord wanted him to battle. That David's reign was all about battling. He had to battle so that Solomon could build, meaning that many times before we can build something in our life, we have to battle first. The battling comes before the building. And I read this this week. John Tyson said this, the best advice I've received on how to fight well, talking about spiritual warfare, is simple and yet so profound. Here's what he says. Spiritual warfare is living in the opposite spirit of the attack. I think about Paul, who's being attacked. So what that means is leaders have come into this church and they are bold, they are arrogant, they're like, ah, oh, this Paul, he's living according to the flesh, you know, follow us, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and here's what he says, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Earlier in chapter six, verses six through seven, he, he gives a list and he says, by purity. Did you know that purity is a spiritual weapon? And, and when you feel tempted, 
You need to be in the you need to work in the opposite spirit. If you feel tempted sexually or, or in lust, you have to be in the opposite spirit. And so if that means like, okay, I'm having a lustful thought, I'm going to pray for the salvation of people that I'm lusting after or people that I'm drawn to, or, or I'm going to pray for the purity of people in my church right now. I'm going to pray for the young people around me. I, I'm going I'm to do something in the opposite spirit. By knowledge, by patience, that's a spiritual weapon, patience. Do you ever feel impatient? You feel all stressed out on the inside. Like the whole world will fall apart if I don't get to this place in the next three minutes. Like that's what you believe in your mind. And then what if we just stop that and said, no, 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 wait, whoa, whoa. I'm gonna be in the opposite spirit of this right now. By kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Every good thing of God becomes a weapon, a spiritual weapon, powerful, that works to break strong holds. And that's the key. These are powerful through God. Friends, Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. He rose to new life on his own three days later. He conquered death. And he triumphed over powers and principalities of darkness. It's amazing. That's what he accomplished. And he didn't do all of that so that you could stay stuck in your strongholds for the rest of your life. He loves you too much for that. So here's what I want to land today. It's time to declare demo day on spiritual strongholds. I think we get stuck sometimes we, we know we have this problem in our life. We, we recognize it. We know it's not good. We know it's not what God wants. We know it doesn't please him. We don't even like it, really. But we feel stuck, and we don't know what to do. And I, I think we need to do something about this. We have to declare Demo Day on this. I'm just curious, what is it for you? What is it that you struggle to believe about God or about his word? What arguments have you bought into? What about your thought life? What's, what's going on on the inside of you? What do you think about yourself? What do you think about the people around you? What do you think about your family, your friends, your life? Where are you getting stuck and hung up? What downward spiral do you find yourself going into? Are sinful thoughts dominating your life? Where are you finding yourself unwilling to do what God commanded you to do? Like you kind of think like God's way doesn't really work. And I think all these other people are right and I'm just gonna do it this way. Are you living 
contrary to his ways? Or what addiction has a hold on you? And it's just a fortified position in your life. And I was thinking of the ministry of Jesus and, you know, Jesus would go into a town or a village and it would say the whole town, the whole village came out to, to see him. And he would preach and he would teach, but then they would line up and he would minister and people would get in line. Like, I, like I have a problem or my, my child has a problem. I, we don't know what to do. The doctors don't know what to do. And they would line up and they would just wait for their chance to tell Jesus what's going on and he would minister to them. And the scripture says that he would heal, he would deliver, he would cleanse, he would set people free. Powerful. And I want you to know that Jesus is still doing that today. But I just wonder if more often than not, we hear that and we're kind of like the people who decided not to go out that day. You know what I'm saying? Well, God and his sovereignty, if, if he will bring Jesus to my doorstep and knock on my door three times, then I'll know today was the day to finally deal with that thing that I've been holding on to for so long. You know? We think we're waiting on him, but what if he's waiting on us? What if God's saying, no, I'm here for you right now. I've always been here for you. I declare to you the, the year of the Lord's salvation. Today's the day. And so what I want to invite you to do is this. I want you to move towards Jesus. Whatever it is for you, whatever you feel stuck with. Maybe you're like, okay, I think I'm like 75% done with that. God's changed me a lot. I, I'm, I'm at 75%. Praise God. Let's go to the 100%. Amen? Let's move towards Jesus. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rind-church.org.